All right. Move over ACC. Duke, UNC, Gonzaga, Big Ten, SEC. I don't care. The Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball. It's not even close. This is Locked on Baylor. You are Locked on Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Wednesday and Baylor basketball game day, everybody. Drake Toll here from Sports Illustrated's Inside the Bears, along with Isaac Shade of Locked On College Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Baylor your first listen every single day. And uh, Isaac, I want to start the show by apologizing for name dropping UNC in there <laughs> uh, in in the intro, because Isaac, to pull the shades back, uh, also hosts Locked On Tar Heels. But this is a Big Twelve conference that, even with Baylor not being the juggernaut we expected early on, a Big 12 conference that is the premier league in college basketball. 100%, Drake. Uh, Also, thank you for that little pun of pulling the shades back. I very much appreciate that. And listen, you got to throw a little shade at me as the host of Locked on Tar Heels uh, after last year's NCAA tournament. I know still is, wow, that, that game was, I was in the building for that one, and it was one of the, like, that was a more insane environment than the final four game against Duke. So if I can just put it that way, that was wacky. Um, anyway, to your point, 100%, not close, without question, the Big 12 is the best basketball conference in the nation right now, followed by the Big 10 second. And as you said, it's not remotely close right now. And so that is going to be, as we'll talk about, both a great thing for Baylor because of opportunities, but also a frustrating thing for Baylor because of some other opportunities. Isaac, we, we've done been knowing, as we say on Locked On Baylor, the Big 12 is a great conference. In the last few years of basketball, it feels like more and more national media outlets are giving the Big 12 its due notoriety and no different this year. Things It feels like everything's really exploded on the scene with possibly 10 teams that have a case for an NCAA tournament bid. And you've already mentioned how that puts Baylor in a really tough spot because the league as competitive as ever could see its champion with five or six losses in conference play. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing, like, as you look at Ken Palm, for those for those who aren't aware, Ken Palm is like one of the preeminent uh, predictive basketball. The Bi- for the Baylor fans, the Bible of college basketball. For yes, that's, that's a great way to put it. And so this is what we rely on even more than the AP poll in, in the basketball world. And so right now, all 10 Big 12 teams are ranked in the top 45 at Ken Palm. And for those who aren't aware, there are 363 teams in Division I college basketball, and all 10 of these are top 45. And so as you're looking at these opportunities um, for, for the Bears and really all 10 teams in the league, you've got massive opportunities in front of you. I was checking out Baylor's schedule earlier. There's 18 games left, including this one tonight against TCU. And of those 18 Literally all of them are quad one or quad two, which is the games the NCAA selection committee is looking at in terms of like, who did you play? How strong are they? All of that. 14 of those 18 are quad one games, the most valuable games you can play in college basketball. You contrast that like you were talking about the ACC in the cold open there, Drake. And let's contrast it with Duke, for example. The Blue Devils have 17 games left on their schedule. Only six of those are quad one. So for Baylor massive opportunities you got great chances to go in some big games 
but it also means, you know, you're probably going to take some losses. And so, but the good news, even in that is it's impossible to take a bad loss the rest of the season. It's just about how many of them pile up. I love it. It's like, all right. Yeah. Baylor lost a lot of games, but they also, of their 10 losses, they were all 10 quad one. Legit. Which- could end up being the case. And that's a good fallback for Baylor fans. Although that's not what any Baylor fan two years removed from a national championship wants to point (laughs) to is look at our quality losses, but it could be, it's going to become a case for the seven through 10 teams in the big 12, because at least six are squarely going to make it in from this league, likely more Baylor, hopefully being one of them, but you've seen some recent struggles and in a league where it's tough to pick it up, come back and get a couple straight wins against such tough competition. I'm curious, Isaac, why the big 12, like the ACC, your Dukes, your UNCs, these NIL deals and the, the, the big names are there and the big 10, you've got your NIL deals and the big names, the PAC 12's got some flashy programs. Why is it that these grassroots random teams from Kansas and Iowa are good at basketball? Well, part of it is like from a league wide standpoint, part of it is that the, the smallness of the number of teams, when you've only got these 10 teams and all of them are at least like good to strong, there aren't any bottom feeders there. And, And I know the big 12 will have some from time to time, but, um, like the ACC, for example, for a long time, when they had nine teams, that was the preeminent basketball league in the nation year after year after year. And then they added those big East teams several years ago. And now you've got some perennial bottom feeders in Boston yeah. college as to why some of these middle of the country teams are so good. You look at it and there's a lot of basketball history with Kansas. Dr. James Naismith started this game, right? Uh, you look at Texas, it's some of the best basketball talent in our entire nation. And that filters out through the rest of the conference. But when two fifths of the conference's schools are in that one state, man, they're trying to divide it up. And obviously a couple of those are going to leak north to Oklahoma or uh, over to Kansas and, and some things like that. And even at West Virginia, that is, I know that's further out on the geographical footprint for the conference, mm. but man, Bob Huggins is there. One of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. West Virginia itself has great um, basketball tradition even before him. And so you, you just, it, it's interesting. And even like you think about Oklahoma state, which isn't like a, a sexy, great thing, but man, their, their history with um, Hank Iba and things like that. And so the big 12, it just, I think because it's the breadbasket of where college basketball started with Dr. Naismith, and then it just kind of leaks out from there a little bit. Isaac, no nights off. That's what Fran Fraschilla has given. The, that's the moniker for the Big 12. In the in the Pac-12, you get Cal at some point, man. And that is just, it's it's hilarious. Hey, they How got bad. their second win this weekend. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> oh, in a conference, a conference win too, which is wild. Uh, you have teams in the ACC that are like Florida State, the Boston Colleges Louisville, are facing yeah. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. In the SEC, you've got your Vanderbilts that you're still scratching your head. And in the Big 12, you just don't get that. But I've always posed the question, and I want to get your thoughts on whether or not when it comes to NCAA tournament, March Madness, conference tournament, if that's a good or a bad thing because these teams are being beaten up. Yeah, absolutely. I think overall it's a good thing as long as you're not beaten up too much. Like for me, it's tougher in the Big Ten because there are 14 of them. There are a couple bottom feeders, but it's still got a lot of similar depth to the Big 12. And and that brand of basketball is just even more kind of brutal than is the Big 12. And so uh, I think for all these 10 
universities, it's all about having some depth on your team. Like, for example, with Baylor, I mean, you've just got this whole cavalcade of dynamic guards yeah. that you love. And so, for example, in a game like this uh, against Ohio State, where LJ Cryer's out, you got other dudes that can step in and step up to the plate. And, and that's necessary for Scott Drew to be able to have. And so I think long term, as long as you can stay relatively healthy, being that level of battle tested is infinitely better than, say, example, you mentioned Gonzaga earlier, being up in the West Coast Conference. They're like basically all of January, February and early March. They're not playing anybody outside of maybe St. Mary's when they're good like they are this year and BYU before they transfer conferences yeah. as well. And so I think it's a net positive, but you just got to stay away from major injuries like Jonathan Chamachachua, for example, unfortunately, last year. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, and I, I want to cover a base for you because I think there are some Baylor fans that would listen and hear you say the Big Ten's a more physical brand of basketball. I think it is. You look at your Purdue's, who is year in and year out, has like 17, seven foot guys. Their point guard's seven foot three. And you're like, all right, that's just Purdue basketball, Matt Painter. And you go to Iowa and Luca Garza. The way they play is certainly more physical. I think that that's not even to talk about defense, too. I think the Big 12 plays such good defense, but right. you're exactly right there. And I, that's a great point. Other conferences are also. So dealing with the ins and outs and the beat, the beating you take over the course of 35 to 40 games. But to hone in on what's been going on and will continue to happen for Baylor basketball, looking back at Iowa State and four to TCU, Isaac, I want to get first your thoughts on that game in Ames. But before we go there, I'm going to one of my favorite places in America, and that is Bet. I'm just kidding. It is LinkedIn Talent Solutions. I actually legally changed my middle name recently to LinkedIn Talent Solutions. It's long. It is convoluted, but it is something that fits me so well because LinkedIn Talent Solutions, LinkedIn's how I found most of my jobs. All the jobs that I do is LinkedIn. And you go right now, you're like, all right, I, I need that. And there's like, I need, I need that guy. I need some college kid energy. I need something like that with my company. LinkedIn's the place to go. LinkedIn Talent Solutions, purple hashtag hiring frame, and you will, you will hire everybody. They're like, all right, look, we'll set you up with screening questions. You go in, you put in what those questions are, it narrows down the talent pool, and you make a hire from there. Small businesses rate it number one. Number one, when it comes to new hires, LinkedIn Talent Solutions is where you should go to bring the perfect fit to your staff. So right now, go to LinkedIn.com slash college. LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Keep in mind, terms and conditions do apply. Isaac. Oh, Isaac. <laughs> Baylor, Iowa State, man. I'm looking around the rest of the Big 12 thinking, all right, Baylor's going to lose today because by then you kind of could tell the score. But luckily, Kansas is down 15. They're going to lose. Texas is going to lose to OU. This sure. is looking fine. Baylor's not the only team to get upset. And then every other favorite climbed their way back to win the game, except for the Bears, who completely fell apart late in the second half. Mm. Is that like... <sighs> You got to win them at some point. And if you're losing to an unranked Iowa State team, not the best sign in starting conference play. Yes. Well, if I can put some uh, relief on that part of it, I mean, anytime you're missing LJ Cryer, and I know that doesn't make up probably 15 points in this game, but yeah. that is a massive loss for this team, obviously, as Baylor uh, dealt with most of last season. Um, but here, here's the thing. Iowa State is a really good basketball team when Caleb Grill and Gabe Kalsher are on. And unfortunately, that has not been consistent this year. Unfortunately for Iowa State and unfortunately yeah. for Baylor, it both <laughs> came together in the same game for this one. And I know that's frustrating, but it's going to happen sometimes. These two dudes combined to shoot 12 of 22 from the field, 10 of 18 from three and 41 points. And that 
I know that's a frustrating thing, especially when they're two guards and Baylor prides itself on on that um, backcourt defense, right? And so um, you look at that, and I know there's some frustration to it, but again, that's what's going to happen in the Big 12, especially um, as you get out on the road and head to Ames as they did. And so it's one of those things where I often say, listen, you throw it away, it's um, New Year's weekend, better days are ahead uh, for Baylor. And, and I fully believe that. And so it's one of those where it's like, yes, you, you take the tape, you figure out why are we falling apart a little bit down the stretch here? How do we fix that and move forward the rest of the way in the conference slate? This is tough. I, I And I'm kind of setting you up for failure here, Isaac, Ta-da! just to warn you, um, I should be able to answer this better, but Jerome Tang leaving Baylor and I really want to give it to you in, in any capacity. If a coach like that leaves a program, what kind of hit can that leave? And do you think we're already seeing that with Baylor? Because he's having a lot of success. And Baylor's so, yeah. kind of treading water a little bit. Um, I think it does hurt, especially a long tenured assistant right there. Like a lot of times people are only paying attention to the head coaches. And so maybe it's like, ah, you just lose one of your assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's a massive deal, especially someone like him that Coach Drew entrusts so much, and especially when it is uh, an intra-conference move as he went on to the Little Apple there in Manhattan, Jerome Tang. And so um, that certainly hurts, but you've got other long-tenured assistants who slide over into some of those seats, like Coach Alvin Brooks, for example, um, who just with his long history of coaching tradition, even in his own family. And and yeah. so um, there's a lot of great stuff there. I think it does hurt some initially, but uh, I don't think it hurts to the level that that we want to say like, hey, we can blame some of what's happening this year on that. I think for me, the issues are more about um, the the lack of the strength of front court that Baylor's had the last several years. That That's to me the biggest glaring issue right now is that Flo Thamba, who is a national champion and, and played a big role on that 2021 national championship team, just isn't. Jonathan Chamachachua, he's not Jeremy Sohan. He's not, you know, some of these other guys that have just been, Macy Oteague, some of these other guys that have just been so massive in the front court for the Bears. I, I just, he's not quite to that level. And so I think for me, um, until he gets back and it sounds like he's on good schedule, it's just, man, what is it going to look like when he comes back? How ready will he be to go? We'll just have to wait and see on that. But it's just Flo Thamba, Jalen Bridges, they're not that dominant. And so even mm-hmm. though you've got Flagler and Cryer and the super stud freshman in Keontae George, uh, you need that front court to kind of balance it out a little more. Yeah, Scott Drew in front court are two things, two words that have not, uh, or is it Scott Drew front court? There are a lot of words there, and none of them really have gone together over the course of his tenure here. Um, I'm thinking about some of the best bigs he's had even in the last five years or so, Freddie Gillespie being one of them at six foot eight. Like when your center is six foot eight, when Azubuki came to town, that was a big problem for Baylor. And this year, you've seen them be out rebounded by uh, by a lot of different teams. And the weird part of the about the Iowa State game was Baylor actually led the rebounding 32 30. Big part of that was because Iowa State made almost all, uh, not almost, but a lot of their shots. Um, and, and Baylor had more opportunities for offensive boards. But Isaac, This is an Iowa State team that Baylor didn't play very good defense against. They still didn't rebound that well against, although they did lead the category. And an Iowa State team that also got the best of North Carolina. So you've gotten gotten to see them a little bit too. Yeah. 
is this is this just a, a really good Iowa State team? I know you've alluded to it a little bit, but give me some more comfort there. Yeah, absolutely it is. That, funny thing was I talked about um, when there's games when Caleb Grill goes off, uh, you might be in trouble. Well, that was another You've example. You've seen that before. <laughs> I've seen that firsthand myself. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, absolutely. Iowa State is a very solid basketball team. We talked about Ken Palm earlier. Right now, they're 41st at Ken Palm. And so, you know, for the Big 12, yeah. that's low. But relatively speaking, compared to other conferences, that's like they're probably second or third in most of the other power five conferences right now. And so, yeah, I say uh, folks in Waco take comfort. Um, and just, again, as we had talked about earlier, you're just going to suffer some road losses in big 12 play this year. You just got to come to grips with it. Yeah. It's an Iowa state team that again has beaten North Carolina, but also lost by 20 to teams like <laughs> Iowa and to UConn. You can't really tell what you're going to get night in and night out from them and make the same case for a lot of really good basketball teams across the country. We've seen Gonzaga get blown out. We've seen Baylor, North Carolina get blown out. And <laughs> Isaac, I, I don't want to keep piling this on. Do it. Pile I think, on. I think Baylor fans are at least happy that they're not in UNC's boat though. <laughs> UNC has or plenty Kentucky. of, Right. Or Kentucky. And I think both teams have plenty of talent to make late season right. runs. Right. It's just a matter of those juggernauts that are waiting in the 15 or below category to put it all together later in the year, like these experienced Purdue teams that you're seeing. Um, and speaking of experience, Baylor gets that tonight with TCU <laughs> and they come to Waco. That's one of the bright spots with this is you get to come back home after a big blowout road loss. So a little more familiarity there. And Familiarity with your opponent. Uh, a lot of these TCU guys from Eddie Lampkin and Mike Miles are guys that Baylor's seen before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people wrote TCU off like right at the beginning of the season because they took that loss uh, to Northwestern. They were bad. They were so just, bad. It was a miserable game. And they only lost by a point. That's, I mean, they shouldn't lose that game, but they only lost by a point. And other than that, I mean, they've won all of their other 12 yeah. games and, and none of them, like I'm looking back at their schedule right now, there's nothing sexy. Their best win is a home win over Texas Tech on New Year's Eve, right? And so um, it, it's just, it's one of those teams that I don't really know what to do with yet. And I need to see more games like this one tonight to really get a better grasp on TCU, who we predicted preseason to be phenomenal. Mike Miles, even potentially uh, preseason All-American. And I, I think we're starting to see that come into form again. And so um, this will be a really interesting game. I think it's massive for Baylor to get them at home. You talked about Eddie Lampkin, like you got to deal with him and, and make sure you're in good shape. Um, Jamie Dixon is such a good basketball coach and, and you know, he will have the Horned Frogs ready to go, especially man, just, uh, you know, I, I, this is weird to talk about it this way, but when you have just like what they're doing right now on the football field, like that kind of bleeds over that confidence into some of your other teams. I know maybe we don't think about the humanity of that, but that, that can give your other athletic teams on campus some confidence. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see how that factors in as well. Uh, but I feel good about Baylor winning this basketball game, especially because it's at home there in Waco. Mm. I like the, the idea that success breeds success across programs because they, these guys all eat in the same athlete dining hall. And when the tennis team who just won a big 12 championship is sitting next to the women's basketball team, who just won a big 12 championship and the football team who last year won the sugar bowl, you get a feeling of, okay, that's the standard where we are. Baylor gets that, but now TCU to an even <laughs> more extreme point being in the national championship in football, 
gets that as well. And I do think they carry that chip on their shoulder, but boy, there's not a lot of like on the court chips for the TCU shoulder, barely beating Arkansas Pine Bluff earlier this year, sneaking by teams like Cal, struggling against squads like SMU. They really shouldn't. And then when you expect them, it's like, all right, you're ranked, so you should beat a Utah. You should beat a Texas Tech. They go out and they find a way, even in comeback fashion against Tech. It's This is a TCU team to me that is not a dominant basketball team, but it's a team that wins. That's right. I completely agree with that assessment. No pushback, no difference. They have squeaked by. It feels like, you know, to your point about some of those games you mentioned, I feel like at times kind of consistently throughout this season, they've played to their level of competition. And I think now there's going to be this like, oh, crap. We're getting into Big 12 play now. We got to step it up and and really find our way here. And so I expect them to compete and to compete well. It's probably one of those close games. You know, I'd I'd imagine it's like within four in the closing couple minutes. And then, uh, you know, like Flagler maybe takes over down the stretch, hits hits a key three and some free throws. And Baylor gets away with like a five or six point victory. You talk about Flagler, who had 18 in the first half against Iowa State. To complement his 18, Keontae George had one. Fast forward to the second half, Flagler has two. Keontae George has 15. Exactly. It's completely flipped. (laughs) And and if LJ Cryer doesn't play in this game, then you're going to have to have both of those guys on at the same time, along with the complementary pieces like Jalen Bridges or Flo Thamba scoring down low. Josh Ojanwuna has shown flashes and Caleb Lohner. And you could keep going with this roster and its depth. But what does it look like outside outsider perspective for you? What does it look like when Baylor does completely put this thing together? Oh, it is one of the most frustrating teams to play against because you have to be like, I think about like we talked earlier about like the second half of the uh, round of 32 game last year in Fort Worth, where Carolina had one of the biggest leads in like against the number one team. Like I was sitting there at my computer looking up like biggest eight over one upsets in March Madness history. And then here comes this massive comeback. Why? Because Scott Drew puts out these disruptive guards who can do anything they want to. And it's like one of those things where in some ways they've put that fear in you before you even step on the court. And then when you have guys, uh, and I know he's not there this year, but somebody like Jeremy Sohan who can just, mess things up mess around like those are some of the bigs you think about with Baylor and so from an outsider perspective although I'm not completely outsider I've got a bunch of family that graduated from Baylor and so uh, I've been a Baylor fan for uh, a long time actually Um, and so man it's like fun to see kind of like I'm tangentially connected and so I, I love what a just disciplined and tough team they always are game in and game out like I feel like Baylor's a team clearly this this game from last year that we've been talking about multiple times is literally never out of a game Mm -hmm. because that pressure that ball hawking can always um, keep them in a game and that said though I know the defense hasn't been as strong this year and so that's something I will be watching closely in big 12 play is um, uh, Baylor's offense right now is kind of outpacing the defense in terms of efficiency can that defense get back to the level we're used to seeing from the Bears. Yeah, you're not used to the whole offense being better than the defense with a Scott Drew Baylor team at all. 
Um, and even, you know, in the last couple of years, I remember holding Texas under 50 and Villanova under 50 and Hey, Baylor will score 59 points, but you're holding somebody else to 44 and you, you get out of Waco with a win. That's not the brand of this team, which is odd to see that culture shift, that defensive culture shift. Um, I also, I love that you're alluding to this game, that round of 32 game. I scratching and racking my brain of all the athletic events I've ever been to. I've never seen anything like that. Like a 25 point Dude. last 12 minutes comeback for a really fraudulent one seed Baylor team. I'll say it. I'll say it. They didn't yep. have very much depth. Uh, Kendall Brown was not good by the end of the year to the point where he only played 22 minutes in an overtime game. But that, that game itself was just nuts. Thank you for giving me that memory because of how great it was. <laughs> it was uh, fun. Despite the loss, and UNC obviously goes on a tear. But I, before we get you out of here, Isaac, I'll I'll pitch a couple things to you, kind of a two-minute yeah. drill. Done. Keontae George, Woo. go. Keontae George, I thought coming into the year, would be the freshman of the year. Um, he has been solid. He's not – I think it's not that he's done anything wrong. It's just that there's some others, like Brandon Miller down at Alabama, who has yeah. just been – stupid good like kind of on the Jabari Smith level of last year although for me a better three-point shooter than Jabari Smith was and so there have just been a couple of other freshmen that have really popped but I love how like solid he's been one of the things that I think is super crazy helpful for him is he comes into this vaunted three-guard Baylor lineup alongside two veterans in Cryer and in Flagler like I think that's massively important for his development and it helps keep him consistent like I'm looking through his stats right now only two games in under double digit scoring I'd like to see his three-point percentage get up a little bit higher shooting 33.7 percent like maybe up to 35 but like for a freshman in the big 12 I love that and so um he is somebody he's one of those for me kind of appointment viewing I want to watch Keontae George every time he steps out on the court. He's going to be um, somebody that the NBA covets in a big way. And again, love him just as part of this long history of Scott Baylor and stud guards. Yeah, he's got the takeover card at any point in the game where it's, all right, this is Keontae George's time. He's not great from deep. Honestly, his shooting numbers aren't great whatsoever, but he's played pretty solid complimentary basketball, even on nights where he's not shooting very well, which has worked really well to Baylor's favor. Um, I'll give you a couple more of these names here in the two-minute drill. LJ Cryer. Yes, uh, man, it's just, you hate it for a guy who's out right now, you know, with these concussion symptoms who had missed so much of last year. Like, I... I just, I never want to see these young men like struggling to get back into the game. And so hopefully, uh, you know, for this game tonight against TCU, he will be ready to go. But um, again, just having that, that veteran thing, being a Texas kid from Katie, um, I, I love it. He is somebody, man, to see, you just talked about uh, Keontae George not being a great shooter for a guard to be shooting over 50% for the season. And man, I know he doesn't get to the line very often, but shooting over 90% from the free throw line, he's just somebody you can trust in, believe in, and be an extension of the coaching staff. And that is a young man you want on your team any time of day. Isaac, last one for you. And it's not Adam Flagler because that one speaks for itself at this point. We, we know. <laughs> this one, I'm going to give a stipulation. I okay. want to know your thoughts on him except for on April 5th, 2021. Take that game out of the out of the notebook because okay. it's the greatest game he has ever and will ever play, but Flo Thamba. 
Flow Thamba. Well, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Like he's somebody you love that he's been around in this program. Now this is his fifth year, a national champion. Like there is something to be said for this entire roster that that has been or anyone that's been around for a couple of years and how that spills over to players that come in later. Like there's just something about that, that winning culture. I mean, you take, a, if you put back the COVID season, Baylor's basically a number one seed the past three seasons. Like they would have absolutely been that in that COVID year. And so while, you know, he is not uh Chachua, like, um, he is a 6'10 big every ounce of that. And when you have seen, as you alluded to, that one just special, uh, fantastic game. Um, like, I, I, if I remember correctly, he's not scored in double digits this entire season. I think he's hit eight several times. I can look it up quickly while I'm talking. No, he's hit eight one time against Washington State. Everything, like, that's his highest out uh point scoring of this entire season but and and he's only hit double digit rebounds once as well and so it's it's weird for someone of his size that's what's always stuck out to me is like he is a solid college basketball player but he's never he just doesn't get big numbers and it's confounded me always because he should and so as you said you take away it's like in in class in school uh when it's like you've got this one grade that's really high and it brings your average way up you take that out and it's like oh you're okay well you're you're an okay student right like i feel like that is flow thamba to me as a college basketball player yeah you take out april 5th of 21 we got a different story we got some nuts stories he also it's it's weird to me as i see these guys you mentioned fifth year guy like flow thamba has been on baylor's campus longer than i have like I'm, <laughs> I'm a senior at this point and it's like i can't imagine this guy's been around for a while um, he's the wise old sage as I mean, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer. It feels like the rest of these guys have been here and they have, but I don't know, Isaac, man, if this team can put it together, they've got a lot of great potential. They've been a one seed the last three years, like you said, and they've got the potential to do that, but they are looking down the barrel of teams like Kentucky and UNC that feel the same way that the potentials there just hasn't come together yet. I think you're absolutely right. You like this is a team. I think back to the when Florida repeated as national champions um, in the in the mid two thousands. That second team was really good, but it felt like they kind of floated through a lot of the regular season. Um, and I, I'm not saying that's what Baylor's doing, but it's like they knew they just needed to get to March, and then they had the experience, hmm. that winning tradition, to do what they needed to do. There's just something like for Baylor, it's like you just need to get to March, and then you're ready to go. Like I th- I don't care what the numbers, but Side these teams' name are when Baylor steps onto the court in an NCAA tournament scenario. I trust them. Why? Because they've been there before. They know how to do it, and they're winners. They're hungry to make up for what happened last year in the NCAA tournament. And I, man, I I am a believer in what Baylor can do down the stretch, regardless of what the record is in Big Twelve play. Isaac, I, I thank you. I kept, I kept you long, like eight minutes ago. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the last thing, and I lied to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Where can those who now have learned that you're a secret Baylor fan find your stuff? <laughs> yes, you can find my, my personal stuff on Twitter is where I'm most active, at Isaac Shade. One S, two A's, and Isaac, and Shade has a C in it. It's a German word that means what a pity. I don't know. Anyway, uh, and then you can obviously, as Drake said earlier, find me on Locked on College Basketball. Myself and Andy Patton are the co-hosts of that. Five days a week, college basketball content. And then if you ever want to check out the Tar Heels for any weird reason, you can find me there as well. 
I love it. Isaac, thanks so much again for coming on the show. For everybody listening tomorrow, recap episode of TCU. I don't look for those that are watching that over there is a can of as a case of Diet Dr. Pepper, which I'll drink in 48 hours on top of a suitcase. I'm supposed to fly to Seattle at some point in my life. I don't know when it's going to happen. So if there's not a recap episode tomorrow, that suitcase is why we'll see what we get no matter what. Thank you. Thank you for making Locked On Baylor your first listen every single day. Come back tomorrow or don't if there's one. This has been always will be Locked On. Baylor.